Welcome back to Current Affairs, our show about the stories of love gone fatally wrong that are in the news right now. So these shorter, more contemporary cases come out on Fridays while our extensive, full-length, super-duper long main episodes come out on Wednesdays. Some weeks, there is a single story, though, that is absolutely dominating the attention of anyone paying attention to true crime. And this week, it's the resolution of the case of Natalie Holloway, a then 18-year-old girl who went missing in May of 2005 on a class graduation trip to Aruba. This story has been 18 years in the making. So today we're going to do a very brief overview of the case, followed by all the new details about her last night on Earth from the man who has, as of Wednesday, October 18th, finally admitted to being her killer. While I catch up on the fact that 2005 was 18 years ago. Oh my gosh, you're telling me. Oh my God. Okay. So let's get into it, shall we? Mm-hmm. Natalie was headed towards great things. She was born on October 21st, 1986 to Dave and Beth Holloway. Her parents divorced when she was seven, and when she was 14, her mother remarried and moved to the family from Tennessee to Alabama. Natalie was a straight-A student and extremely engaged member of her community at Mountain Brook High School. Her good grades and extracurricular activities led her to win a full scholarship to the University of Alabama, where she planned to study pre-med. In late May 2005, Natalie joined more than 100 of her classmates from Mountain Brook on a five-day graduation trip to Aruba. There were seven adult chaperones, and the trip had become a Mountain Brook tradition. Father Dave had initially been hesitant, but ultimately he and Natalie's mom figured safety in numbers. On May 30th, 2005, the morning the group was set to return, Beth got a terrifying call, one that all parents dread. One of the chaperones told her that Natalie had not shown for the return flight and had been reported missing. (sighs) Beth went ashen and thought the very worst. She would later tell an interviewer, I knew instantly when I received that call that just from Natalie's history and character and just her record, I knew instantly that she'd either been kidnapped or murdered. Authorities immediately sprung into action trying to uncover Natalie's last known whereabouts. According to multiple people, she had spent the last night of the trip with friends at a popular bar and restaurant called Carlos and Charlie's. She was seen leaving the bar at 1.30 in a white car with three males who would later be identified as 17-year-old Joran Vandersloot and 21 and 19-year-old brothers Deepak and Satish Kalpo. One of her friends said that the window had been down and that they could see Natalie in the back seat, and their assumption had been that she had simply found a ride back to the hotel. Other friends also reported that Vandersloot had been not only at Carlos and Charlie's, but that he had been hanging around the Mountain Brook group throughout their trip. He was a Dutch citizen attending the International School of Aruba, where he was also an honor roll student, but with a pretty strong party streak. A female friend from Vandersloot's social circle said, but he only wanted to party with American tourists. He liked girls with blonde hair. Throughout the investigation, Vandersloot would be one of the main focuses, but he was not the first to be arrested. A few days after Natalie disappeared on June 5, 2005, two former security guards were arrested after their descriptions were given to police by Vandersloot and the Calpos. Natalie's carmates claimed that they had dropped her off at the hotel at 2 a.m. and had seen a man in a security guard uniform approach her. However, the lead went nowhere and the two guards were released on June 13th. On June 9th, Vandersloot and the Calpos were arrested. A week after that, a party boat DJ followed, and on June 23rd, Vandersloot's father, Paulus, who 
was a lawyer, was also detained. All five were considered suspects, but by September of that year, all had been released. Fast forward to November 2007, and Vandersloot and the Kalpos were arrested again. Aruban prosecutors claimed to have uncovered new evidence, although never revealed what that evidence was. The three were charged with involvement in the voluntary manslaughter of Natalie Holloway or causing serious bodily harm to Natalie Holloway, resulting in her death. Yet, just a month later, all three were released from prison and charges were dismissed. The Aruban prosecutor's office said in a statement, the period of custody did not bring the final breakthrough in this investigation and that there was insufficient evidence. The next few years saw an incredibly strange set of behaviors from Vandersloot, with the former suspect telling numerous stories about what actually happened, each of which seemed more or less completely made up. In February of 2008, a Dutch TV station aired a hidden camera confession in which Vandersloot said that Natalie had died of a drug overdose on the beach and that he and a friend had dumped her body in the ocean. He added, she'll never be found. After this aired, however, Vandersloot said he had been lying to the undercover journalist. A few months later, in November of that year, he appeared on Fox News with Greta Van Susteren and claimed to have sold Natalie into a sex trafficking ring for $10,000. However, eight hours after giving the interview, he emailed Fox and said that that was a lie. It's infuriating. I would be absolutely losing it if I was Natalie's family. In February of 2010, a Dutch tabloid claimed that the previous year, van der Sloot had recorded an interview in which he claimed he and Natalie had gone to a friend's house where they drank whiskey and did cocaine, after which Natalie accidentally fell off a balcony to her death. Still, if all of that was made up, 2010 would prove to be a big year for the case. In March of that year, van der Sloot began extorting Natalie's family offering information about her death and the location of her remains in exchange for $250,000. Brazenly, Vandersloot emailed Beth's attorney, John Q. Kelly. Kelly got the FBI involved before meeting up with Vandersloot in Aruba to provide a down payment on the $250,000. He gave Vandersloot $10,000 in cash, while Beth wired $15,000 to his bank account in the Netherlands. The FBI, however, had coordinated with Aruban law enforcement to record the exchange. In return for the first payment, Vandersloot claimed to Kelly that he had thrown Natalie to the ground during an altercation where she had accidentally hit her head on a rock and died. He walked Kelly to a house where he said he had disposed of the body by burying Natalie under the foundation. I mean, how do you at any point believe what he's saying after lying so much in so many different ways? And once again, <laughs> it was just all lies. The house didn't even exist at the time of Natalie's disappearance. In May 2010, Vandersloot emailed Kelly and said that he lied about the location. No one is shocked. He would later say in an interview that he just wanted to get back at Natalie's family for making his life rough for the previous five years. His life rough? Come on. Oh, I can't even. It's like boiling my blood. Somehow, this still wasn't the most significant development of 2010. On May 30th of that year, exactly five years after Natalie had disappeared, a 21-year-old named Stephanie Flores Ramirez was reported missing in Peru. Surprise, surprise, the person she was last seen with was, you guessed it, Joran Vandersloot. I'd say there's a common denominator here. Mm -hmm. However, this time, a body would be found. On June 2nd, Stephanie's battered body was found bludgeoned to death in a Lima hotel room that was registered to Vandersloot. Joran was arrested the next day, June 3rd, in Chile. 
He confessed to police that he had choked and killed Stephanie after she discovered his link to the Natalie Holloway case. <sighs> it's not it's not looking good for you, Mr. Vandersloot. No, it's also not exactly a secret. Uh, yeah. Vandersloot pled guilty but claimed temporary insanity, with his lawyer trying to argue that his client had been suffering from, quote, extreme psychological trauma after being, quote, persecuted for Natalie's disappearance. Luckily, no one was buying that shit, and in January of 2012, Joran Vandersloot was sentenced to 28 years in prison. That same month, an Alabama judge declared Natalie legally dead, and her family went about the hard work of moving on. However, the U.S. wasn't done with Vandersloot. Remember, the FBI had recorded his extortion of Beth. This year saw a major development when the Peruvian government approved an extradition request for Vandersloot to face federal charges related to extortion and wire fraud. Peru's ambassador to the United States said in a statement, we hope that this action will enable a process that will help to bring peace to Mrs. Holloway and to her family who are grieving in the same way that the Flores family in Peru is grieving for the loss of their daughter, Stephanie. Vandersloot arrived in the U.S. in June and initially pled not guilty. Just this week, however, on Wednesday, October 18th, Vandersloot stood in a federal courtroom in Birmingham and pled guilty. What's more, he finally explained what really happened that night. And this time, the story was confirmed by a polygraph test. We are going to share some of the details from the confession, trigger warning for extreme violence and sexual assault. According to Vandersloot, after the bar, he and Natalie went to the beach where they began kissing on the sand. Vandersloot, however, wanted to take it further, to which Natalie said a firm and definitive no. Vandersloot kept going in defiance of her wishes and against her consent, and unable to get him off of her, Natalie kneed him hard in the crotch. An enraged Vandersloot said he then kicked her, in his words, extremely hard in the face. At that point, Vandersloot said that Natalie was unconscious, possibly even dead, but definitely unconscious. Ugh. At that point, the still very angry Vandersloot noticed a, quote, huge cinder block lying in the sand. Vandersloot picked it up and said, I smash her head in with it completely. Her face basically, you know, collapses in. After that, he said he didn't know what to do. So he dragged Natalie's body to the ocean and pushed it off to sea. Unfortunately for Natalie's family, Joran Vandersloot is unlikely to face charges in Aruba where the statute of limitations for murder is only 12 years. That's insane. It's insane, but luckily... Yeah. <laughs> well, that didn't stop the courts in Alabama, however, from giving him 20 years for the extortion and wire fraud. The sentence is to run concurrently with his 28 years in prison for murder in Peru, but if he is released early in Peru, he will serve the remainder of his 20 years in the United States. They're doing the best they can, huh? I guess so. Beth and Natalie's family had mixed emotions, understandably. On one hand, Beth said it feels victorious, like we finally transitioned from the victim to the victor. At the same time, however, she firmly rejected the apology he offered in court. When asked about Joran Vandersloot's supposed remorse, Beth said he doesn't have that in his existence. Just to say the words, it's fine. It didn't mean anything. <sighs> I really hope that they find a way to keep him locked up for the rest of his life, although it seems unlikely because this is a person who will kill again. Yeah, absolutely. But hopefully the Holloway family has found some sort of measure of resolution in the case. I think that having 
an answer, even if it is truly despicable and being proven by a polygraph, <sighs> probably has come a long way. And to see him vanquished in court. So yeah. hopefully they get to continue to see him rot behind bars. Best of luck and love to the Holloway family, of course. Until next time, I'm Jesse Prey. And I'm Andy Cassette, signing off for Love, Murder, Current Affairs. 